What's up, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Tim Time, Tim Lee, Timmy 2 podcast. Um, I'm coming through heavy right now, coming through heavy with a fresh pod for you, a new potty, a new, a noonie, that new new. They call me new new because I'm in that new new. That's from ATL. You know, the movie with uh, T.I. and Lauren London. Lauren London played Lauren London, the widow of Nipsey Hussle, R.I.P. Nip. Um, she was in ATL, and she played a character called Nunu. And that's how you found out who she is, why they call her Nunu. Why they call you Nunu? They call me Nunu because I'm always in that new, new. <laughs> and then she does a thing, and then it's like a thing, and that's her character. Uh, I do wonder if T.I. checked her hymen on the set of ATL. Did you check her hymen, T.I.? T.I. has been had a problematic week. Um... If you don't know, T.I. has purportedly – is that a word, purportedly, or is it just reportedly? Um, no, T.I. didn't reportedly. T.I. went out on his podcast, which he has a podcast called Expeditiously, which is fucking atrocious. I would never listen to it um, if there – do I think this podcast is shit? No, I don't. Do I think this podcast is better than T.I.'s? Absolutely, 100% do. He just gets to have a podcast and monetize it because he's T.I. That's bullshit. I'm doing this shit for free, for the passion, for you, for the people. All right? Um, Until I get a million-dollar deal, which is coming soon. As an influencer, it's tough to navigate the deals when you're an influencer like me. It's tough when you're a local celeb podcaster. It's tough to navigate deals. I'm turning them down. It's just not good enough. I haven't found the right one yet. Uh, We're getting there, though. No. um, T.I. has... Went on his own podcast and said that he goes to the doctor with his daughter to check his daughter's hymen for to see if she's a virgin. Now this is sure, certainly problematic. How how cancel culture hasn't attacked him? Well, they did. He got he had a hell week. Cancel culture. I'm still trying to figure out if cancel culture is real or if it's used to just like attack somebody until they get canceled. But I don't think that's happening anymore. It's like Shane McGillis McGinnis. It's like Shane McGinnis when he did the um, – he did like an eight – Shane McGinnis, if you don't know who he is, um, if you're on fucking planet Earth and you're not here or you're under rock, um, like it's the topics here, people, I can't just explain everything, all right? Kind of have a background when I start talking about things. I'm just kidding. Um, thanks for listening. No, Shane McGinnis was set to be on SNL. He was a comedian – Hadn't really been in the game that long. Funny guy, though. Uh, did some videos for The Onion and stuff like that. And then he came out and had he did a podcast like two years ago, I think. And made like, I don't know, I guess racist remarks or like sounds like mocking Asians or something. So SNL was like, you need to apologize. And blah, blah, blah. So we did a shit, kind of a shit apology, which I'm saying shit because it should be shit. He shouldn't have had to apologize for it. And then they ended up kicking him off the show anyway, and he couldn't be on SNL. Like, crushed his dreams. Like, who's what comedian's dream isn't to be on SNL? Um, right now, fuck SNL. Fuck television. Fuck NBC. Fuck that whole show. SNL, I keep saying this, like, why does anyone watch television? Why does anyone watch television? Like, there isn't... And I mean cable television. I don't mean fucking watching an actual television for you fucking smart up bastards out there. No, I just think that like SNL has reached this stage where it's like your 634th episode about Donald Trump. How many times can we get Alec Baldwin to do Donald Trump's low-hanging fruit bullshit jokes? You know, it's just like it's all the same. It's like, oh, what do we expect? 
oh, are they going to like attack both sides ever? Or are they just going to lean on this one side and it'd be complete bullshit, like Weekend Update? The only one who's got any balls on Weekend Update is like Michael Che, I think. And I don't even really think he's funny, but at least he kind of like tries to attack both sides. Like John Stewart used to do that. Um, John Stewart used to do that on uh, on the Daily Show with John Stewart. I loved John Stewart, man. He he would just shit on. It. He did it. He, he it was broad. He did it on to liberals. He did it to conservatives. Whatever you want to call yourself. I mean, he didn't have the. He didn't. God, I mean, it's unfortunate that he didn't have. Uh, it's unfortunate. Um, that's inside joke for certain people. Um, it, he didn't have the like. God, man, if we could have John Stewart doing the Daily Show now. F- in this, like, he didn't have the climate of extreme right and left, though. Like, that was, like, you know, uh, early 2000s. We just weren't there yet. I mean, we were there, but we weren't, like, there, there. Like, we're not, like, he, now it's just, like, nuts in Trump's president. Like, he would have been so good for this. Um, but, you know, it's just, like, fuck TV, fuck SNL, fuck that whole show. Like, I watched, like, a few clips. You'll catch a gem every once in a while in there, but, like, that show... For the most part, that show should be pretty fucking funny. It's SNL. Like, you have great writers. I know they pay writers probably a good amount of money. They, I mean, past comedians like Louis C.K. And, um, you know, a lot of, just a lot of random comedians. Uh, Anthony Jeselnik. Like, a lot of people have written for SNL that are really funny. So, you know, for it to be such a shit show that it is, is kind of dumb. And the only reason they're getting probably a lot more views is because they can, they can grab, NBC can grab you know, the artists to perform, like they, they can get the Taylor Swift on, you know, it could be a terrible episode, but Taylor Swift's there, or they can get, you know, Drake to be there, or they can get fucking Billie Eilish, who I don't even fucking know who that chick is, I don't even care about being in touch with that, the pop culture of today, because that is, like, if that's what's hot right now, like, fuck that chick, I don't even know, like, what is she, what, what she does, um, so anyway, but yeah, I just, where was, I just ranted, and then I, like, lose myself, and I have to backtrack, um, but yeah, I just think it's fucking ridiculous. Um, and, but I was talking about TI and then went into cancel culture and then that was that. So anyway, back to TI. Um, yeah. So he like publicly said this about his daughter on his podcast, probably. And I would assume so. I mean, did it not get in publicity? And this is where my thing is now. It's like, now are we doing like, did he purposely do that to be like, fuck them, let them hate me. But it's on my podcast, and I bet they'll listen to it. Like, they'll at least listen to it to hear me talk about this. Maybe they'll never listen again, but they'll listen to this episode. Like, that's kind of a bullshit fucking reason. And that's why I think he's cheap for even doing a podcast, because it's not his lane. It's just not his his lane. It isn't. And it's just interesting that, you know, it's um, that's a marketable thing for a podcast, regardless if it's – what do they say? Pub, uh, nope. Any publicity – Good, any bad, bad publicity is good publicity, whatever the fuck they say in the fucking industry. I don't know. But, which is clearly not true in the sense of like everything that, you know, bad publicity can be bad for you. But like controversial publicity, which is what T.I., I mean, that's T.I.'s, it's his daughter. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. You can't cancel him for it. He hasn't done anything wrong. It's just like that's controversial, but it's not bad publicity. For sure, it's not bad publicity. It makes him look like shit. I think he kind of always looks like shit. Um, but there's a couple rappers like that that I, you know, like, like T.I. just comes, he keeps going down on my list a little bit. Like, anytime Snoop Dogg talks, like, I just, I'm like, eh, dude, you're icon. Like, stay an icon, dude. Like, we don't need, you and I don't need to hear from Snoop Dogg on anything. 
Like, you smoke weed all day, every day, not even hating on it. Wish I could. Um, but it's just like, I don't, just don't need your commentary about things that you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Um, so there's that, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, so anyway, here we are. Here we are. This day of our, this day of our Lord, the day of our Lord, November 20, not even 20. Where are we at? November? Oh, November 16th. Close, cutting it close to old Thanksgiving Day, Turkey Day. God, Turkey Day. Oh, yes, yeah, speaking of weed, I wanted to say something about marijuana. Not that I have something to say, but a story that came out was Miami Heat, the Miami, the Miami Heat, the Miami Heat, the NBA basketball team, suspended Dion Waiters for having a panic attack on a plane. Well, they didn't suspend him for having a panic attack. They suspended him because he had a panic. The reason he had a panic attack was because he overdosed on edibles. Clearly, you can't overdose on weed to the extent of death. I mean, as, as far as I'm concerned, you can't do that. Uh, can you overdose? Like, overdose just means you've took taken too much of a certain substance. Yes, that is possible. You can be violently high at any given time uh, if you are taking edibles. Now, this is hilarious to me because he was on a plane. That's not even funny. Like, I feel really bad for that guy because, first off, you're a basketball player. Second, you're having a panic attack. Now you have to be openly freaking out. And now in your head you're going, now I'm openly freaking out. Now people are going to know. Now my team's going to know. Now my coach has to know. You know, so now your panic attack is even on it. Like, trust me, I've had panic attacks uh, in my life. There have been many uh, that result in the in the result of uh, ingesting or smoking or something like that um that's happened and to put your like nba career on top of freaking out in a goddamn tsa plane line i just i can't imagine or or i mean no i'm sorry he was he was flying he was being on a plane you can't go anywhere like that's not that is not the place for a panic attack a plane is god that could it's got to be maybe the worst place an enclosed space like a jail cell would be a terrible place for a panic attack uh and second probably a plane an airplane would be maybe the worst because you already feel like you're in an airplane bathroom when you're having a panic attack you can't imagine being in an airplane bathroom having a panic attack or whatever the wherever he had to go i mean he wasn't openly just hanging around i would imagine uh I was just like, fuck, dude, having a panic attack at overdosing on edip- on marijuana, on the marijuana, dude, brutal. Yeah, but the guy got a 10-game suspension, which 10 games for this guy, 10 games for Dion Waiters, if I'm saying his name correctly, I believe I am, uh, costs him more than $1 million. Not only, see, I've had, look, We've all walked around violently high, like, holy shit, dude, it's definitely too much, or I did this too much. I'm not saying we all have. I'm saying it hypothetically. I, I'm saying, like, hypothetically, you could possibly walk into a movie theater that you've been dying to wait to see this movie for a long time, and then uh, it hits you like a ton of bricks, and you don't know what to do. You can't sit in this theater and watch it anymore because you don't even know what to do with your hands or your mouth or your head, and you have to get up. You know, that's a hypothetical situation that could occur if you do take too many edibles. Now, for the record, that's hypothetical. Um, 10 games suspension, a million dollars. Like, now you're, okay, now you're talking about you had a panic attack. Now 
it cost you a million dollars to have that panic attack. Like you could have kept it to yourself, but it's in that state when you are that blitzed, when you're higher than giraffe pussy, that, my friends, is a terrible situation to be in. You can't escape it. You can't not let other people know. Because once they know, now they're all looking at you. Now they're staring at you. You can't do it. You have to just you have to bite the bullet. He had to bite the bullet for one million dollars. And then have the embarrassment of it being all over social media. I mean, of course, he'll think again when he does this. He'll think again before he does such a thing. Like ingest marijuana edibles on a plane headed from Arizona to Los Angeles. That's got to be brutal, though. Shouts out to Dion Waiter, man. Took one for the team, literally. And speaking of, of the old edible marijuana, uh, Dr. Dre's chronic 2001 turned 20 years old today. Now, here's there's a debate right there. Somebody was talking about like chronic and chronic 2001. Like the chronic for me, I'm just, was too young. I didn't, the chronic was just the chronic to me. Nothing but a G thing, sure. I remember being, I do remember being at my grandmother's and I used to have to sneak watch MTV because my mom wouldn't let me watch MTV. If I had MTV on, I probably would have gotten spanked for sure like some thing. She would have told me like I was bad and I was going to go to hell or something. But she didn't. And I don't think I've gone to hell yet. So I think we're in good hands. Um, no, like, I remember being at my grandmother's and, like, having MTV on. It's all I ever did. Like, my brother would go outside and, like, play with friends. Like, me, I was like, what's the next fucking video on MTV Jams? I, Dallas, or Bill Bellamy? You tell me. You know, I was the one who sat down watching countdowns, waiting for Mariah Carey videos to pop up. Because if it was Mariah Carey, I was allowed to listen to it. That was my little, lo- my secular musical loophole as growing up. Um, which is why, I mean, Mariah Carey is the greatest artist of all time. Billboard Selected. Granted, got it, good. But the reason that I love her so much because she was the only one I was allowed to listen to. And it was like, if she was on, I was like, yes, but it's Mariah Carey. It's MTV, but it's Mariah Carey. So you're, you're allowing me to listen to this because it's Mariah Carey. And I loved Mariah Carey at the time. Uh, still do. What am I talking about? Um, but like, I remember being at my grandmother's and watching like nothing but a G thing video. And it was like Snoop. And I always thought Snoop Dogg was really weird because he always lurked in the back. And he was just kind of in the back. It was just this tall, skinny guy. And was like, and he's like got curls. And like at that age, like you just don't like culture to you is not even like MTV introduced me to culture. That's that's how I understood hip hop culture. That's how like understood grunge culture. That's how you get, you know, familiar with like different types of music, you know, and back then, of course, the machine was running it all. It's, it's all fueled by record labels and shit. Like later on when you like wake up, like you, you wake up later. Sorry, if it sounds like there was a pause in the podcast, it's because there was somebody fucking called me the same person, Crutchley, who keeps calling me during podcasts. I don't know why, but he does. He like knows. Um, anyway, like I was saying, about MTV, that I'm not allowed to watch it still, no, um, but yeah, like, that was, like, the first time that I kind of, I don't know, learned about who Dr. Dre was, or the West Coast, and, like, Tupac, like, I still, like, Tupac, Biggie, that was, I'm a Biggie fan, more than Tupac, I think, I think, but, um, but, yeah, like, I didn't know, know them. Like, Jay-Z, now, I mean, of course, anybody who knows me knows all of Jay-Z, but, like, that's my era. It's, like, Jay-Z in the, you know, the 2000s, early, late 90s, early 2000s and above. But, like, um, but so the Chronic 2001 to me is just, like, get the fuck out of here. That whole fucking CD is pretty much fire. Fireballs from hell. Like, literally fire. Uh, I listened to it today. Like, I was just thinking about it and, um, 
Fun fact that I bet a lot of you don't know. So you know the song, Still DRE. Representing, still Dre Day, AK. Though I foamed a lot, can keep it home a lot. So that song, Still DRE. I just played the instrumental. Did you hear that? Sorry, I don't have the song out for you, but you know what the fuck I'm talking about. Scott, actually, people are so, so like, kind of... Uh, don't have their minds twisted about that song. Dr. Dre produces, he's a great producer. He did not produce that song. Scott Storch produced Still DRE. And guess who wrote that entire song for Dr. Dre? Jay-Z. Jay-Z wrote Still DRE for Dr. Dre. So next time you listen to Still DRE, picture Jay-Z rapping it, and you kind of can. It's interesting because he wrote the whole song for Dr. Dre. It's not like an unknown fact. Like it's a known fact. Dr. Dre didn't write. Dr. Dre started out as a DJ and a producer. He started, he was in NWA and they gave him, you know, they just were like, yeah, you should rap too. And he sounds good rapping. So all you have to do is just write the verse for him. Um, so, but Dr. Dre and Jay-Z have this weird relationship because they, they're, Jay-Z didn't have a lot of people on his records. And I thought, uh, and Dr. Dre was always one that he would like put on every other album or something. And, and the Blueprint 2, they did a feature called The Watcher. Uh, the, there's a song called The Watcher on The Chronic 2001. And there's a song called The Watcher 2 um, on The Blueprint 2. And they kind of swap verses. But I know it's like, I'm wondering if Jay-Z just wrote those verses and, you know, just kind of did. He was like, I want you on my album. I'll write your verse. Just come on the album. We'll do the sequel to this song. And I don't know if that part's true, but I'm pretty sure it is. Like, now that I'm thinking about it, because he did... Factually, he wrote still DRE for Jay-Z, for uh, Jay-Z, uh, for Dr. Dre, sorry. Um, so, yeah, Chronic 2001, great album, great smoke album, edible album, whatever album. I mean, it's a great album, period. Um, it's, it's a classic. Classic lasts forever. Like, you can put that shit on and it's not... It's just... It's aged well, you know? Anything... Hip-hop that can age well is, is really just truly great hip-hop. I mean... 2019, I mean, I, I don't know of, I mean, I'm just not as into it as I was. I mean, of course, you get older, it's just, it's a young man's game. It's a young, free, the idea of hip-hop is young and free and just kind of doing whatever you want and being, uh, you know, spontaneous and that that kind of thing. And, and I'm not saying that now, I'm just saying you shouldn't listen to it. I'm just saying, like, the idea of it is younger. So the younger kids that are out now that are listening to this absolute fucking garbage, not all of it. I do like some of them, but like you, you know the ones that are just like you all sound the same. There isn't any differentiating between the two of you. Like if Outcast comes on, you know you can hear it in their voice. Jay Z come on, you hear it in his voice. Dr. Dre, Eminem, everybody had their own. But maybe the kids today can kind of figure that out too. I don't know. The kids today so fucking old, right? Thirty three, big three three, baby. Um, however, you know what are you gonna do? So that's my little hip hop chronic spiel to you. Smoke weed every day. R.I.P. Nate Dogg, too. Wow, can't believe he's gone. I forgot he was gone. He just had to hold up. He just had that. Man, like, imagine just being that guy. They're like, yo, we got a guy that literally just fucking gospels your shit up about crime. Like, he's just, hold up. Hey, mother, you know, hey, like, I don't even know what cadence, I don't know what that is, but Nate Dogg was an original man. Fucking R.I.P. to Nate Dogg. People forget about Nate Dogg. Yeah, I forgot. I forget, too. Like, he's dead, too, Like, which is crazy. He did so many classic albums. Um, especially like fabulous and shit. You won't deny it. I'm a fucking Um, I'll stop singing. I know I get a little too carried away sometimes. But yeah, great, good rap talk, guys. 
Back in my day when rap was good. Oh, God, am I that guy? Back in my day when rap was really rap and hip-hop was hip-hop. And now it's not, now it's crossing over. Such a fucking tool, I swear it. All right, precious babies. Let's talk movies. Movies and television. This week on Jimmy Fallon. This week on Seth Meyers Late Night. They talk about why Trump shouldn't be president. <laughs> um... No, so I went to see The Irishman last night. Classic already. Gonna say that. I'm doing a spoiler-free uh, review here. Or it's not a review. It's just me talking about it. I don't want people to think, like, I'm reviewing movies. This scene was real good, and then this one over here, I didn't like it so much. Um, no, I like... Okay, so The Irishman. Let's start. So basically, Martin Scorsese is a genius. Um, I don't know how old he is. I'm assuming in the 70s to 80 range. I, I don't know. Um, hold on one second. Okay, Martin Scorsese is 76 years old. That's old. Um, it's not old. old. I mean, it's young. He's young. he's still a young guy. He's healthy. I'm assu- I would assume he should be healthy. Um, but a genius. And this movie is like. It just, it just, um, it, it just goes to show how amazing his craft is and like the way, the way he shoots things, the way he shoots things, man, like it's different. And the, like when you think about Casino and it's in, in the Irishman isn't as grandiose as Casino, like it's, it's. It's play, it's, it takes place in the fifties during, um, uh, during like the union, Jimmy Hoffa and union leaders, and you know the fight against the government and all that stuff. Um, it's, I mean, I'm telling you, the shots he takes and like the the clothes they wear. Like, there's this one scene, and this isn't giving anything away. Is a scene where they pull up. It's a red. It's like a red. Ford, I think, or it's a red, God damn it, how do I not know this? Ford or something, I don't know, whatever car it was. And, like, it, it was the way the camera pans up, the way the car pulls in and where the camera is and the angle it is at, it's it's literally beautiful. It's, like, you sit there and you go, that's just a great shot. Like, I mean, I don't know if other people look at that kind of shit and I'm not some fucking, I don't know dick about film. I've never been on a set. I don't know shit about, you know, Shots and cameras and lenses. I don't know. But I know like that kind of shit is like it's prime time. It's like, God, that's why you're all time, Scorsese. Like just shit like that. It's little shit. It's the clothes. It's the iconic look of a movie. Like when you see Tarantino do anything with Pulp Fiction or you do um, some Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like the characters have a look and you can be them for Halloween because they have a look. It has been iconic. It's been stapled into your head. It's a staple look. Um, and I hope I'm not just speaking gibberish now, but like, that is kind of what Scorsese does in this movie. Like, it's just very, God, from everything from the watches, the jewelry, like the old man mafioso retired in Florida jewelry, uh, pants pulled over their, their stomachs type. It just, God, I don't know, man. I just couldn't get over that enough. And, uh, Scorsese like basically took 
all the Italian actors with like relevancy right now and like put them in this movie. And I thought that was really cool too. Like you just get to see people pop up and not everybody's Italian, obviously. Um, there's a couple surprises. I won't say who like pops up and then you're just going to be like, Oh shit. Like that's gotta be fucking awesome for this person to be in a Scorsese movie. That's, that's going to be a classic. It's going to last a long time. It's going to be forever. Like to be in that, like, I don't care if you're the hotel bell, the, uh, the the bellhop at the hotel and whatever Scorsese whatever in casino or or you worked on the floor in casino and you, it was just one you know the one take um you know Don Rickles is in casino and it's just like it doesn't matter how small of a role it's an iconic character people will know you from that so I think you know to have a chance to be in a Scorsese movie to certain actors and to certain maybe artists in general is kind of cool for them to like have that moment where it's like, Oh yeah, he's the guy that's in there for two minutes maybe, but you know him and you know, that's what he's from. Uh, Richard Linklater has, um, not to get off track of the Irishman, but Richard Linklater, um, he did day. He's a director of days and confused and he did, uh, boyhood, which is fucking fantastic. If you haven't seen boyhood, boyhood, uh, Richard Linklater literally follows a child from the age of 12, up until he's uh, about 18 in in real time. No, no, no. He took that time, 10 years or however many years it was, to film these people, all the same cast, all the same people, and he made a movie out of it. And it's an actual movie. It's not a documentary. He just – the story is from this kid from 12 to 18. Incredible. So check out Boyhood. But uh, Richard Linklater uh, uses the 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 – Excuse me. The clerk behind the counter in Days and Confused is like, he's like, uh, he's trying to buy beef jerky or whatever, and you know he's the clerk. Well, he's the clerk in like three different types of movies for Richard Linklater, and um, you just remember him like when you see him, you're like, oh, that's the guy, and and he has very short scenes in these movies, but for some reason, whether he's a friend or you know an actor or whatever, but. Richard Linklater uses them and you just remember that. So it's like the importance of small time characters, but making an impact in a film too is kind of, you know, that's a thing, you know, people do that. And and I think Scorsese has a real hold on a real grasp of that. And clearly Richard Linklater does too. Um, But so, yeah, so he like just took a bunch of Italian actors that with relevancy and right now, like Bobby Cannavale, uh, I think it's Cannavale, I think it's Cannavale, Bobby Cannavale. He was in Boardwalk Empire. Uh, he played side to John Favreau and Chef. He was in Blue Jasmine. Um, he's really great Italian actor. Well, he, I, and I've been watching this guy. Like I've just been watching him do good roles, meaningful roles, especially in Boardwalk Empire. He was a he was a big character there, and um, and I've just kind of been watching this guy. And then like I saw him in The Irishman last night, and he had like he played a mob boss. And he had this scene, and I was like, oh, like, Scorsese gave him a perfect scene. Like, a, he gave him a role, and it's a meaningful role, and it's like he kind of earned his due. And I thought it was cool. I like to see that. Like, I'm like, wow, dude, like, you got, you've been working, and he people have been watching you, and now you have this this role that you're getting to play, and it's kind of more upper echelon and, uh, you know, the hierarchy of characters. You know, he's talking down to De Niro in certain scenes. So I thought that was really cool. Um but man, I'm gonna tell you overall, Al Pacino as fucking Jimmy Hoffa was absolutely fucking incredible. And and out of all people in this, like De Niro, I love him. 
I love Joe Pesci. Like you don't, we don't get to see enough of him. But when you do see Joe Pesci in something, man, that motherfucker is something else to watch on screen, dude. Like the way they made him look, how calm he was. He's playing this very, calm. you know, we're all used to them. Like I said in the last podcast, I've probably been quoting Scorsese for like three podcasts now. But uh, Pesci, the way he would say, you know, where he's just so crazy and fucking violent. He's just a very calm individual in this, and it's almost like eerily calm, like dangerous for sure, but like eerily calm. He's not like fucking all fucking wacky. You fucking, you hear a little girl, Ace, huh? Hear a little girl? Like that's not the Joe Pesci that's in The Irishman. So um, it was really cool to watch him do his thing as um, just as an actor. But man, Al Pacino, he took the cake. He took the cake on this, and I was surprised to say that. But like, man, the way he played Jimmy Hoffa, and I've seen. Um, I watched Jack Nicholson play. He did a movie called Hoffa, and it was about Jimmy Hoffa. And if you're unfamiliar with Jimmy Hoffa, you should look him up. Nobody knows. He disappeared. People obviously think it's mob-related, which probably was. Well, The Irishman kind of tells that story in a new light with new information, and I'm not going to give any of that away as well. But like, that's kind of what you're going to see, and it is fucking intriguing. And it is three hours and 30 minutes long, people. But I was telling somebody the, uh, last night, text i was like it's fluid it's water it's it it flows it's not you know there are your light moments where it maybe it's a little slow but it's leading into something else that's interesting and it's not just like guns violence fucking you know it's not like this big mob just fucking shootout like and i know people want to see that but it's like done well it's done well it's not fucking stupid it's not like oh it's another scorsese mob movie no it's fucking smart. It's great. The acting by every single person. That's what you get with Scorsese. It's like every single person in the entire movie is great. He grabbed Ray Romano. I mean, as a as a lawyer, like uh, he he grabbed uh, Harvey Keitel's in it. Um, dude, I, I mean, it's just damn. I, I just I I would I would want everyone to see it in the theater. Granted, it took a little bit out of me the last thirty minutes. 40 minutes to kind of be like, all right, you know, you're kind of ready to go at three at three hours. You're ready to go. And it doesn't matter what's happening on screen. You're just ready to go. You have life to do. Like, you're just like, OK, so I just urge people, if you're going to watch this movie at home on Netflix, try to make it on a big TV. Try to just watch this movie and don't get up and do a bunch of shit. I went to the bathroom three times. I went to um, I went to a place called the. um the Alamo, uh, Alamo Craft House, and it was basically it's a movie theater, but you can order food like we've all seen those. But this was just unique, man. Like they had this fucking jalapeno tomato sauce popcorn. I was drinking beers throughout. Like I, had, I spent fifty five bucks, which isn't bad because I was like drinking. I had a, I had two margaritas. I had three beers and two margaritas and popcorn. That was all like fifty five bucks. But I mean, that's in a three and a half hour span, so it was kind of cool to drink, watch the movie, take it in. Um, so yeah, it's like so. If you're gonna watch it, I definitely like suggest just sitting down. But this movie is gonna be fucking amazing. It's gonna blow the award scene, at least blow it up. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many awards it'll steal. I think Al Pacino should certainly get nominated for best supporting actor. Um, he can't get best actor because De Niro is the lead. So whenever that happens, it's like okay. So Pacino would get and and it's better for Pacino probably because think you're competing. Your competition is a little lighter if you're uh supporting uh, in my opinion um especially if you're 
with De Niro on scene. Like, you don't have to be categorized with him. Joe Pesci certainly could take the cake for best supporting. So, man, I'm really excited about the movies this year. I'm really excited about Oscar season. There's so many more movies I want to see and I haven't seen. Um, I used to watch so many more movies, like, during this time. And I'm trying to get to all the important ones. But, like, Parasite, The Lighthouse, I still haven't seen those two. Um, uh, so, you know, um, but yeah, The Irishman was excellent. Go see it. Fucking classic. It's, you, I mean, you're going to watch it. You're going to see everything in it. This, the locations, everything that you want in a, mo- a Scorsese movie, you get, um, pretty much. It's just different. All those movies are different and this is different. And the way they like make, it's kind of, you'll see this thing where you're going to be like, ah, it's going to maybe bother you a little bit, but the way they make De Niro look like, look Irish because they give him blue eyes. It's just, it takes, it, it, completely changes his character and his persona like who you think Robert De Niro is like it changes who he looks like in the movie and I thought that was really cool but um I think you all really enjoy it so definitely go see the Irishman fucking awesome loved it and uh that's it man that's it I'm gonna wrap it up it's been 32 minutes oh thanks for listening again man all y'all's feedback's important to me and I appreciate it I appreciate everybody listening and uh I hope I'll hope to talk to y'all next week peace bitch